What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 15 of the Beyond the Ring podcast. This week on the show, we've got a global coach, choreographer, um, who's really out here to make figure skating accessible to everybody. You've seen her on Instagram. You've seen her on TikTok. She's taken the world by storm and truly, in my eyes, doing something that's different um, and stepping outside of the box in this digital age. And she's using her platforms to share a lot of positivity and teaching in general. So let's welcome to the show a San Francisco, California native, Coach Michelle Hong. Let's get into it. Did you ever envision yourself doing what you're doing today, currently as a job, maybe as a young Michelle? So as a young Michelle, I do not think that I would be where I am today. I didn't even think of coaching as an option full time because in my lifetime, for however long (laughs) my childhood Mm -hmm. was, whether that be from like the age of seven all the way up to getting into college, I had my mindset set on being a pre-med student or going down the pre-med track. Coming from an Asian American household, my parents are from Cambodia, a big part of our success, quote unquote, uh, was to push for higher education to work towards becoming a doctor or a lawyer, which my two sisters so happen to be. Yeah. yeah. And so for myself, that was a lot of pressure. But I also kind of took that on as my identity as well. So in addition to being a competitive figure skater, I also was shooting to become a podiatrist, actually. Um, and this beca- this was a result of me having an injury when I was at the novice level where I broke my growth plate. And uh-huh. I didn't even know I broke my growth plate. And it was in on my landing foot mm-hmm. after doing a double axle off the ice. And so it was interesting because I had to see podiatrists, I had to go see physical therapists, and I did a lot of recuperation recovery. And so in my mind, I was like, how can I combine my two passions, quote unquote passions? Yeah. I knew skating was my passion. And then I think medicine was just more of like a push on passion that I internalized. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. So I thought of podiatry when I was going through that injury process. And I actually pursued it to the point of getting into Cal as an integrative biology major because my personal statement was all about that journey and my desire to go down that track. Mm -hmm. But lo and behold, in my heart, I really did not feel it, especially when you go to UC Berkeley and you take all these chemistry classes. You're one of 500 people who are competing for rankings in grades in the class. And I was being weeded out. I was like, this is not for me. (laughs) But you you graduated Cal, no? Like you did all Mm -hmm. four years. What did you end up graduating with? I graduated with a business and media studies major. Okay. So that heavily aligns with my leadership skills, my communication skills, everything that I'm doing now, which is really beautiful. Because being able to utilize my business skills and utilize my knowledge in communications and media and how it affects and impacts other people is so important to me. Um, But it wasn't an easy journey. It was difficult because I had to let my parents know that pre-med was no longer in the picture. (laughs) And I also had to uh, get into the hot school of business. So 
in addition to applying to UC Berkeley, I had to apply to the Haas School of Business one more time because it was only a select number of students that could be in the program. And so that was another challenge. And I was able to enter that in in a way that made me understand like, wow, this was meant for me. Um, but I was also confined by another box because when I got into business school, my parents are like, okay, well, think about finance, think about accounting, think yeah. about, you know, consulting, banking. And I'm like, oh, okay, more boxes for me to be confined in because that goes under the umbrella of a wholesome like Asian daughter. <laughs> uh, I mean, I fully back that, you know, being first generation Asian American, my dad is a computer engineer. My brother works in the tech industry um, and all my See, I have uh, Cal grad, UCLA grads, Princeton grads all in the family. And they're like, oh, you want to go do marketing? Like, what is marketing? We don't know, you know? And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. be an accountant, be finance. And breaking out of that and now staying in skating too. It's like, what a weird, you know, stigma that you got to break through and kind of prove, you got to prove yourself, right? I think that's the biggest thing now. It's like, okay, well, go do your thing and maybe it works out for you. And, you know, I think fortunately when you have your head set on something, you know, like yourself that you've done, you've created quite a platform um, behind yourself. You know, there's a lot to be proud of. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate you sharing your journey too, because it is really difficult. I think a lot of Asian Americans don't really talk about it. I think it's something that we go through under, you know, the rug or it's not something that you bring up in everyday conversation. Like, yeah, my parents really encouraged me to do this. Um, but it's not in our families or in our culture, it's not really encouraged. It's more so like, if you don't go down this path, you, you feel this sense of shame, the sense of guilt, and it's an emotional toll on you that it makes it very difficult to listen to your own voice. Um, and so these mental blocks and these mental challenges, there's something I definitely have had to overcome, but at the same time too, I respect my family and I honor my culture so much that in a way, exactly what you said, I just wanted to prove to them and in a way, educate them that there's so many more opportunities. There's so many doors for quote unquote success. And if it's meaningful and I'm making an impact at the end of the day, that's what matters. And I'm so fortunate that today, like, you know, my parents see the fruit of my labor and they understand the whole entire influencer kind of uh, social media space so much more because of the path that I carved out and then also educated them along the way. Yeah, I mean, it's super, super fresh in, in relative terms speaking, uh, you know, social media, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, it is so new. Let's just look at skating. Skating's been around. I I couldn't even tell you the time frame. Very long time, right? So to, to be able to carve out in something so fresh, so new and, and to show them now, you know, and a lot of people see it now, like we were talking earlier, like there is some worth into what you're doing and a career behind it as long as you, you know, put your head towards it and you have the passion for it. Um, so it's kind of cool to see, you know, what you've created, like I said, but from a skating career background, I'm assuming your parents didn't skate. So how did you stumble upon ice skating as a kid? Yeah, that's such a great question that I get asked often because my parents coming from a, you know, third world country coming and surviving a genocide 
um, the Khmer Rouge genocide, which 2 million of their people were murdered, it's phenomenal and a miracle that they are here in the U.S. today. And so it's interesting because they come from such a hot, humid country. And how do they think to put their daughters in skating? So both my sister and I, uh, Melissa, we both skated. And then my older sister, Pamela, she would help take care of us at the rink when my parents were at work. But we all, the three of us, were invited to a birthday party. And it was an ice skating birthday party. And I feel like many people uh, out there, they have that story too. Of course. Yep. You know? Yep. Infamous. Mm-hmm. And it's that story of, you know, you, either you get instantly trapped because it's so fun and you're really like zooming across the ice or you're someone like me who was super scared. I had my helmet on, my knee pads on, my elbow pads, and I was clenching my hands on the boards because I was so scared. And I was, I was honestly not a fan of the sport right away, but my middle sister, Melissa, she was so, so equipped with her talent in relation to ice skating. So for her, when she was in rental skate, she would be copying the girls that were doing two foot spins, sit spins, all that stuff. And she later on, she begged my parents, can you please put me in group classes? Please, please, please. I want to learn how to skate, like bring me to the rink. And it was hilarious because Melissa was the one that, that begged, but they also attached me into that picture because I was the perfect age. Ah, so uh, mm -hmm. forgive me for not knowing, but are you middle child of, of three or youngest one? Two? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm the youngest. Okay. Okay. I'm the youngest and I have two older sisters. Gotcha. So when I say middle, that's my middle older sister. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So sorry. No, no, no. I just wanted to make sure I got that right. Um, so you, di you didn't love it at first. It grew on you. Um, did, did your sisters end up kind of skating with you as, as life went on or did they drop off at a certain point and you just kind of kept going? Yeah. So the difficult part about skating is that there's so many stigmas. There's so many stereotypes. These There's these barriers to not just entry, but barriers to continue. And I think that that is one of the most heartbreaking things for me to hear and see as a coach. And I witnessed that when I watched my sister go through the same process. So since Melissa started around 11, 12 years old, that's when she started taking group classes, she got a late start. And so Basically, even though she was super talented, like this is how talented she was. She passed all of her moves in the field from preliminary or pre-preliminary all the way through the senior moves in the field within two years. Wow. That is, yeah. That's pretty good. That's really good, actually. It's almost unheard of. Yeah. I've never heard of that ever in my life. But my sister, she just had this innate innate quality of being able to utilize her edges and she has such good visual learning skills and she actually taught me my junior and senior moves wow. because she became a coach she ended up coaching at the rink as well mm -hmm. but one of the biggest things that was interesting was the competition aspect of the sport so for me I was a natural performer that's when actually skating clicked I didn't really like working hard. I, I was like the kid that was like skating around and then I did one thing and I was like, can I have a snack? Yeah. But as soon as they put me in front of the judges, I was alone out there on the ice. 
that's when the wheels started to work. And I instantly, the work ethic, the grit, the passion started to come out because competition fueled me. Whereas for my sister, it really hindered her and it scared her because she was always put into the level of those that were so much more experienced. Sure. But because she was at that skill set, so she was able to do the same skills like the jumps. But when you don't have that experience of competing out there, when you don't have the experience of being all alone on the ice surface, music playing is playing and the judges are watching you solo. It takes a toll on you. And so nerves set in. And since she didn't have that experience as a young skater, she had, she needed more time. But the thing is time wasn't, it wasn't being gifted to her in that way. It was more so like, why aren't you competing? Like the other girls are right. And her coaches would even make her feel a certain way. Like, you know, you should be having your double axle by now and treating her the same as the, all the kids, her age, despite how many years she was in the sport, which in a way, like you can say like, that's, that's great because they see the potential in her, but there's also that emotional aspect. The kind of the mental aspect that I saw was a detriment to her wanting to stay competitive. Well, it's kind of like everyone's a little different and you can't put them in the same mold. Right. But if you start realizing how to approach these kids um, and I'm sure you're doing it a little differently for everyone. Like you can, f- you can find potential and have them achieve potential differently. So, you know, gone, we have to push through the old ways of by 12, you have to have this or by 13, you have to have this. Like it's not an age thing. There are specific things that I would say for age, if you're heading towards a specific track. So it's always dependent on what each individual's goals are. So if your goals are to make it to nationals, then yes, you will need a double axle by 13 to make it to nationals this year. So there's factors like that, that I like to always shed light on because there are realities in which age is a restriction just because of the rules of the sport. But for the majority of the people who want to skate, Age should not be a limit. If you have a passion for it, you should be able to have the same opportunity to be on the ice as anybody else. And I think that it's really important that that narrative starts to shift now, especially during a time where the ice rink is not available, but people are trying to prepare. I have a lot of fans and a lot of followers online who are so excited to learn how to skate and they're able to feel free and do what they want to do because roller skating is an option now doing off ice training is an option now and even just stretching and developing flexibility and having a community online that makes them feel safe because honestly sometimes the rink is the most toxic place to be in yeah yeah i would say that for sure for sure the online community too when you are you know, within a group that is supporting your beliefs and what you're doing, you know, you, you definitely can, you can crawl your, you can crawl out of the hole that maybe the rink brought you into. So it's cool to see kind of how that's developed. I'm going to throw it back to on some dates that we were talking about earlier. Uh, I think I first found you on YouTube in 2017. I don't remember the number. It, it wasn't where it was, where it is today. You're following, but I know on Instagram you had about five thousand because I made notes of that. Oddly enough, um, 
wow. That's so cool. five thousand in twenty seventeen to man, almost fifty thousand today. Um, what was kind of the goal of Coach Michelle Hong when you first started, I guess, this endeavor? First of all, I think that is so cool that you have that number because I don't even have that number. I, I sent it, uh, an email to um, corporate one day saying, hey, we should watch out for a couple influencers and you made that list. Uh, so let's see. There you go. It comes full circle. That is awesome. Thanks, Kevin. This is Kevin Wu is an OG. I got you. OG <laughs> follower. OG follower. I love it. Wow pretty awesome now that you've put it into perspective because sometimes as people who are in sport or people who are just naturally driven I personally don't take the time to reflect as much as I should I did a lot of reflecting towards the end of 2020 and the start of 2021 but to hear 5,000 to like 60,000 now on Instagram is mind-blowing But I think that the biggest thing for me when I see that and what I envision for myself is at the end of the day, if I'm able to create an impact, that's all that matters. So even if it stayed at 5,000, I would still be happy because I'm able to create an impact. There are periods of times when you're constantly like chasing a number or you're wanting to grow and all that. But at this moment in time, I've done a lot of reflection through this growth process. And the thing that I'm most thankful for is my authentic community. The way that they're so active in communicating, sharing their stories, opening up about their struggles, and me being able to answer their questions. Like, that's the most meaningful part about this experience. I think it's so cool to see. I mean, you've... uh, you've been who you are since then. Nothing's to me, nothing's changed. Um, and I think you'd probably say the same, uh, maybe different in how you're putting content out, but you know, you're staying real again to your audience and and giving them kind of what you started with, you know, lessons or tips or tricks and things like that, that, uh, it's great to see. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. But the funny thing is like, I definitely have changed. I I've changed a lot Because during that time when I was at 5,000 followers, I was very focused on my coaching career. I really, really, really wanted to establish myself as a, a, a coach, a professional when I was at the rink. And I wanted to make sure that because I was putting myself out on social media, I wanted to not just be somebody that just posted on social media, but I also wanted to have uh, my skaters do well. And I wanted my skaters to have a coach that understood all aspects of the sport, um, can provide emotional, mental, and physical support. And I really worked on educating myself. I went to all the jump on it camps and the athlete acceleration camps. I networked with other coaches and I learned from, you know, the best of the best. And I also looked inside myself and I learned from my students. That's another big thing too. I never want to stop learning. And I also want to encourage other young coaches or even coaches who have been in the game for a while to kind of have that mentality because I feel like we can learn so much from one another. And so what's interesting is that I was definitely at a different pace 
in terms of coaching back then. And it was not an easy space to get into because I had coaches that would be very discouraging. I had somebody come up to me and say, you're the junior coach, you're the assistant coach, you have no business um, coaches that would, you know, continue to demean me in certain ways or talk behind my back. And so that's the, that's the part of why I work so hard to do what I do. And that's the part what makes of what inspires me and motivates me to continue to carve out a new path, a new avenue for figure skating, because all that stuff I don't tend to talk about. It's not something that is easy for me to even talk about to say like, oh yeah, like it wasn't easy for me to get into coaching actually. Uh, people were rude and they bullied me and they intimidated me. <laughs> like that's not something yeah, yeah. that you say on a daily basis because I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, I think you're defined in, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the coaching world, you know, I have these a caliber students that have been in nationals and this and that, and why that has to define your success. It, it shouldn't be that way. Right. You, you can, you can raise the way you raise young kids to be adults. I mean, or even adults in that fact, um, to develop, that should be a reflection of your coaching, not just, you know, I got a medal at nationals. Mm -hmm. And I think skating goes that way too. There's a lot of pressure put on that competition where you you don't have to be that a Nathan Chen, right? That that is like 0.05% of the population of skating that's going to be at that level, maybe even less than that. And, and there's so much more that you can be proud of, you know, accomplishment wise, that doesn't have to be a reflection of a medal, a competition, a ranking. So yeah, time to work past that. It's, it's truly embedded into the culture of the sport and that connection between a medal, an award, a certificate, defining who you are also is a personality thing. I definitely think too. So I think those who are attracted to the sport of figure skating are driven by external motivation because one, it feels really good to earn a medal or earn the sense of accomplishment. Um, And then two, especially when you're out there on the ice and you are are experiencing like clapping (laughs) and external support, it, it fills you. It really fuels you as well. So, of course, as an athlete in the figure skating world, you tend to have that personality. But as I grew older, I had to really understand. So kind of going through the process of what you were saying, like, from what I could see, you haven't really changed. But that's something that I had to really work on. I had to learn and understand that I am more than just my accolades, I mean, it's a tough part to push past for a lot of people. I mean, and and outside of sport too, right? People mm-hmm. look at your business acumen or things like that, and you know, it doesn't define you. I love that you've changed in in how you're um, just talking about things more and maybe being more open to different things. I mean, that's that's growth. As as we mentioned earlier, we we all have to keep growing. We all have to keep learning, and the more growth that uh, we can bring in, the better you know we can be uh, in whatever avenue of work we do or life. So. Um, when do you remember if it if it was 2016 though when you first started kind of this journey? Oh yeah, in coaching. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 2016 is when I went full force with Coach Michelle Hong, my website, my Instagram, my YouTube, and my full time coaching experience. And it it was a series of events in 
kind of the startup world and me working in a in a biotech startup, which is doing so well right now. One of the companies that I used to work for, um, they have $20 million in funding right now. And so like, if somebody were to look back at that experience or see it for what it is right now, on paper, it was like, hey, you missed an opportunity here. But I don't see it that way because that was meant to happen. Like I was meant to go through that experience. I was meant to try to search for another um, kind of like marketing or influencer marketing space. So I was looking for Mm -hmm. other jobs within the tech world. But then deep down inside, I was like, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to create an impact. I want to be able to reach people. I want to be able to use my voice for change um, through social media. And so that's what really hit me was when I started looking for jobs to help other influencers or people um, kind of grow their reach and grow their impact. And then I was like, wait a second, if I'm going to help these people grow, then why can't I help myself grow? If I put in the work Mm -hmm. now, then what can happen two years, three years, four years from now. So I always had a belief in myself and I always had a strong passion for coaching, but I had to let go of so many negative thoughts and negative voices. And from those to who truly loved and supported me too, like my family, it's a scary, it's a scary avenue to go on when nobody else has carved out that space. And so it's awesome that you were able to kind of follow that or kind of like see it <laughs> with that number yeah. you're like 5,000 yeah. in 2017 or something like that I think that's cool it's cool to see the growth and and not from a from a follower standpoint like I know everybody looks at the metrics and whatnot but just what you've done for the figure skating world and I see the communicate I see the back and forth like I read the comments I go through the comment sections of people's videos and that's what I love to see. That's I love seeing engagement and and when you like you said leave an impact like that. I mean it's so much more meaningful than okay, I got a startup and it's going IPO. Great. On to the next one kind of deal. People get caught up in that, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you can leave an impact like the way you're doing, I I think that's amazing. I think I love what you've done. Um are you still so I know we're middle of pandemic right now and the rinks are closed. But are you still doing the on ice coaching as well or kind of have shifted a little bit in what you've done for like content creation to. Online. Yeah. So honestly, COVID has brought on a lot of opportunities for change and adaption. And I consider 2020 a year of transformation for me and for a mm-hmm. lot of people. Um, but currently right now my rinks are closed. So I work with my students via zoom doing off ice training. And then I spend a big majority of my time now on content creation which is amazing because that's something that I always held back on full force because I was on the ice so much. Mm-hmm. And I always felt this when you're in an environment in which other people are working hard and doing what they're doing and you're in that craft and you're in that sport, you kind of feel drawn to do what they're doing. So I felt like I right. had to be at the rink more. I felt like I had to be there for my students or I felt like I had to say yes to every single client and so it, it took time away from what in the back of my mind I knew I wanted to do. And so now with COVID being what it is, 
I literally, I went full force. Um, April and March of 2020, I created Stretch with Michelle and Skate with Michelle, where mm-hmm. I posted every single weekday on my YouTube and my Instagram full-length tutorials that help people during the pandemic on their off-ice training. And these videos are existing for, you know, the rest of eternity because of YouTube. Yeah. So And they're free, too. Mm-hmm. I think, like, you... You didn't do this for the money. It's free. Mm-hmm. Right? 100%. That's, you're creating content that people are going to be going back and, and looking at and using. And, and a lot of people did. I mean, I was seeing kind of the reposts of things you were doing when people did the stretch with Michelle Hong. That was awesome. That's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. That's a big thing for me. I wanted to create a library that was free, accessible, fun, and something that people can do with nothing but their home. Because figure skating is so expensive. And the people who helped me realize how much value putting things out there and putting yourself out there were uh, YouTubers like Michelle Fan, who I looked up to, beauty guru who started it all back when I was in college, and Blogilates, Cassie Ho, who started her Pilates empire way back when. And seeing especially women of color, these Asian-American women, doing amazing things for themselves with their passion and being able to impact lives. I was like, I want to do that in my space. I want to shake things up. I want to change the way that people view skating because I hate seeing comments like, Oh, am I too big to be part of this sport? Am I too old to be part of this sport? And it sucks. It really sucks to see, but I hope that my videos are making that change. I I mean, I definitely think they are. I think it's great. What would you say to those? I'm going to put on my I'll say my mom's hat because I had this conversation with her. What do you say to the people that are like, so how do you create an income then? How do you, how do you create an income off of putting so much stuff out for free? Well, I think the value comes afterwards. So when mm-hmm. you start to create and cultivate a library or a community, so a library of content and a community who is really invested in what you're doing, then Mm -hmm. one of the big things that I'm working on is Coach Michelle Academy. So my next project that will launch in spring is Coach Michelle Academy uh, recordings. So last year, I made a big step to uh, create Coach Michelle Academy Stretch Edition. And I hosted Zoom Live courses that people, um, my first cohort, they experienced it and it was amazing. So they were able to um, book online sessions with me for eight week series. And now the next big thing is my Coach Michelle Academy Stretch Edition recordings that people can purchase for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so being able to create things like that and also working with brands and working with companies that I believe align with my values and having that be part of the process. Because as influencers are becoming a bigger part of the marketing space, people want to listen to those who have created um, this trust, like, and know with them. Because I definitely, Mm -hmm. I like to purchase things when, like, you know, my favorite blogger posts something. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. Like, I love that. And then i rather see somebody like that than a fake ad or somebody who was paid for it, but, like, to model and act act like they like the product. So um, there's different, there's definitely a lot of opportunities, but at the end of the day, for me, that's just icing on the cake because 
You can't go into something like this for what I'm doing for this long thinking about the money. You have to do it because you love it. You love it. Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. So right now, could I sign up to do lessons with you one-on-one or are you doing the Zoom lessons or um, in group classes, stuff like that? So right now, uh, you cannot sign up with me to work on -on (laughs) one-on-one. I am very... um, I'm very limited on my time and I, I basically only accept people within my figure skating Academy if they do like an audition with us because my, um, co coach and I, Bilal care, um, we have our on ice skating Academy, which is beyond skating. That's what, um, our Academy is called. And our students have, um, been with us for a while um, majority of them have been with us since they were young and they, they embody the three pillars for our Academy are people, passion, and purpose. And our specific Academy consists of kids and, um, you know, young adults who are really trying to go on a competitive track and they want to put in the work. So, you know, when we had ice time, our kids would wake up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. to be able to be on the ice by 5, you know, 5.30. Like, they're committed. They're into the sport. Um, they have that self-discipline, that self-drive. And so taking on new clients is not something that um, is on the table right now. Um, it's mostly being able to see what I can do to help as many people as I can without exasperating my bandwidth (laughs) yeah you've got a lot going on definitely want to balance that Uh, what would you say then to you know we've talked about kind of the transition and the acceleration with pandemic of going from old to new and and what is the future it seems like this digital quote-unquote coaching is is upon us when you look at you know the nathans the vincents and even you know Alyssa being from the bay like that that's that's the one percent that's doing that but what about the rest of the kids like is there some something to be said about the future of coaching and skating in this digital age? I definitely think that many people have all the opportunity to connect and to have coaching from all over the world. Now, I think that's the value and beauty of, uh, phones, laptops, and all that great stuff. Mm. I definitely, you know, the people that did the live zoom classes with me were from all over. I had people in England. I had people, um, from New York. And I had people who would never otherwise be able to work with me. And down the line, what I hope is that by developing these connections, um, these opportunities will just expand and people will see the value in trying new things and also incorporating that office aspect into their training. Because I think before the pandemic, nobody really saw the value (laughs) in office training as much. I think it's grown quite a bit. I mean, when you talk to, I talk with a lot of the trainers, obviously working with skates on trying to re-strengthen bodies that have fatigued over time and muscles that have fatigued. It's, I don't know, is it just not talked about as much or coaches have, you know, a tough time implementing it because, you know, kids run from one activity to another and then it's, I'm home for dinner, homework, and done. Um, but you're missing this whole aspect of, you know, training the muscles and growing the muscles, not to be muscular in that sense, but just to be in the right shape for the sport, right? 
it seems like it was it's been missed for quite some time and, and now being talked about a lot more and whether that be injury prevention or whatnot too, you know, I think social media has accelerated that. Yeah. So I definitely believe that off ice training has been something that's been on the back burner because on ice, on ice, on ice is so emphasized, so heavily emphasized, especially within the coaching space. Because I feel like in America, school is the number one priority. We're not, you know, we're not in countries like Russia or Korea or Japan where maybe skating is their number one priority and they don't go to school or they're homeschooled or um, something of that sort. But a majority of the kids have to go to school. And so there's always a limited time where people can even fit in lessons because they pack their whole schedule. And so off ice is obviously going to be something that is the lower priority because some people can't even get on ice time. And so I think that's one of the big factors. And it also depends on the coaches, right? The coaches have to implement it and they have to make it a part of the training regimen. So for our skaters, we definitely incorporated that into our practice. So if you, if you want to be on the team, then you have to do a minimum of three off ice lessons per week, or you have to submit if you, you know, if they don't have the lessons, um, as it, you know, some skaters can't afford all the lessons. So, okay, show us a video of you doing it. And then maybe we can give you corrections so that you can make sure that you're having the right alignment. Um, and it, it has to take a whole entire methodology to instill this type of off ice practice into the training. Um, it can't just be like, Oh yeah, you need to do off ice. And then you're just speaking it out behind it. Exactly. the kids see the value in it when they see the results too. So definitely my students saw the results after being off the ice for over, it was like March to June or July. And many of them came back stronger, honestly. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it was the biggest fear for a lot of people that the kids would come back out of shape and unmotivated and whatnot. But to hear them coming back, you know, even better than before is awesome. Mm-hmm. Through all this in 2020 as well, you um, helped kind of engage uh, the BIPOC community in starting, or I should say co-founding, um, FSDIA too. Can you talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's really awesome that um, figure skaters can be at the forefront of their own front lines. And uh, it was great being able to collaborate and help jumpstart FSDIA with Alaj Balde and Mariah Gerber. And it was something that has been brushed under the rug, but was brought to the forefront of figure skating because of the Black Lives Matter uprising and kind of seeing how in figure skating, this is something that doesn't get talked about. It's, it's never really addressed, but there are so many issues that have been, um, spoken about with me. And I, I shared many stories through my paving the way series on IG live. And I think it's really important to be able to share all these stories because you can't think of, or you can't always make figure skating this perfect, wholesome, um, all-American sport without addressing, like I said, like, you know, toxicity or 
damage. Um, a lot of the things that people go through just is just difficult to talk about, but it's time. It's really time to make shift and make change and make opportunity for more BIPOC skaters, black and brown skaters to have role models that look like them and feel like they could be part of the sport. Yeah, I think that, you know, I talked with Lodge at length about it and that was the biggest thing, you know, I, I, he never saw anybody that looked like him in the sport that was doing things that he did in the sport. So uh, even the sport itself looks, looks down on it when they can't see someone of that, uh, uh, caliber and, and, and color doing it. So, um, breaking down the barrier and getting more kids of color onto the ice. I mean, w- what would you say are some barriers that we need to remove that we can try and make skating more accessible? I know the NHL has made a big push for it, um, uh, and, and other sports for that matter. But, you know, figure skating is always, I feel like kind of stood out and, uh, we don't have that maybe the dollar value to put towards it, but we do have the voices. We do have the athletes that do have their channels and their followings and things like that. Like what kind of barriers can we help break down? Well, I also, um, believe that policy change and reform needs to happen. One of the big things that I stress and I talk about within the DEI task force, um, at us figure skating is that there have been, unresolved cases or there have been people who have shared discrimination and stories from the past that haven't been addressed. And so I think it's really important to address those things and then create policies to help make that make sure that that doesn't happen again. Um, right now that I don't believe that there is any um, racial discrimination grievances that you could share. I think there's just safe mm-hmm. sport, which is solely, um, I think the big, the big part of safe sport is, um, kind of sexual harassment or harassment cases. And right. so it's, it's a very vast area that needs a lot of work and a lot of reform. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it has to start just with the awareness aspect And so when you're talking about um, people who have big platforms or people within the figure skating world who can utilize their voice, I think it needs to start out with just sharing why it's important and why this matters. Um, And I think that everybody right now is is definitely on it. And FSDIA is doing a great job of being able to share these beautiful stories, show people that black and brown skaters exist and they're thriving and they're beautiful um, and a Lodge's video, amazing, went viral. So crazy. Yeah, crazy. And, crazy to see. And and it's just making people see that, like, this is what skating can and, and should look like. It shouldn't be one way. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Very well said. And, and I'm not trying to call out any of the NGBs here, but what have... Uh, you guys been able to accomplish working with like a U.S. figure skating? And I know a lot is trying to do the same with Skate Canada. Um, I think one of the big things that's happening is going to be announced at nationals. So I think people need to be on the, (laughs) Uh, I personally can't say, but something uh, really exciting is going to be shared at nationals in regards to this area. So Mm -hmm. look out for that. And then I think a lot of education. I think education internally is step one. And then also, um, figuring out ways to, uh, create those policy changes. It takes, it takes baby steps, but it takes steps. 
Yeah, you got to start somewhere. And um, I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for that announcement now. So that's really cool. <laughs> um, so with the timing of this episode, it'll, you know, we'll make an announcement after that, too. But that's that's awesome to see. That's awesome that you guys have been able to to work. Um, I would what across borders all across the world, really. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, with the community you've developed to, to make an impact and it keeps going back to why Michelle Hong went and did what she did in 2016, right, is to leave an impact in this world and, and well, let's say make a statement, but I like that, make a statement. <laughs> so it's, that, that's awesome. I've got a couple questions I always like to ask um, to kind of wrap things up. But uh, in 2021, you know, there's a lot of facades being broken down and um, kind of walls that come down that hide maybe that you can't hide behind. Um, I'd like to ask, like, What's something people seem to misunderstand about you and, and what you're doing? Is there something that maybe stands out? Hmm. I'm not sure because honestly, misunderstanding about me, I feel like that is something of the past. I don't think it's something that I think about in 2021. I would say that because of COVID, I've been more isolated. So I'm not in the skating rink as much. And so I feel like that that would be something for like a previous year where the misconception or the assumption um, as a young coach, and I feel that a lot of young coaches go through, is that um, the way that I coach or my methodologies are are too much or you're trying too hard or, um, you know, you need to tone yourself down or... Like you're, she's the fun coach. She's the, she's the young coach. She doesn't know anything. And so those are assumptions they, and they can very well still exist, but they're not on the forefront of my mind. They're, that's there not the go. focus. That is not the focus. The focus well is said. how many people are being able to grow from what I'm giving out and how many people are, am I impacting on a daily basis? by being who I am, whether that be loud, whether that be extra, whether that be, you know, who I am. You're energetic. I will always say that in person, on the phone, doesn't matter. You (laughs) are who you are. And that's the best part about you is the authenticity that, like you said, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing to hide, which I love. Absolutely great. (laughs) And we touched upon this when we started, but you know, a young Michelle seeing where you are today, seeing what you're doing, is there something you would tell young Michelle, maybe a couple words of advice? Mm-hmm. I think for myself, I've been connecting a lot more with my faith. And I think that the biggest thing that I've been telling myself now, and what I definitely would like to share with my younger self is to be present and to know that even through the hard times, it will pass and everything happens for a reason. Because every single downfall that I've had, or every single challenge, or even relationship, friendship, whatnot, that didn't work out, it taught me so much. Every single lesson that I learned from it has brought me to where I am today, and will continue to bring me towards wherever, you know, God has a plan for me. So wherever the journey takes you. Yeah. That's honestly what I would tell my younger self. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and uh, where can we find you online? Everything is at 
Coach Michelle Hong? Everything is at Coach Michelle Hong except for my TikTok because I think I have an impersonator. <laughs> Ooh, really? Okay. Hey, we didn't talk about that. So did you start right at pandemic or did you were you on TikTok before? Kind of all went down. I was on TikTok when it was called Musically, and I only got it because my students at the time were so into Musically. And then when it transitioned into TikTok, I posted my first like official video with my friends right before pandemic hit. And it was just dancing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But I was like listening to one of my girlfriends who worked at Fenty Beauty at the time in the social media space. And basically, she was raving about TikTok being like the next big thing and how, you know, all the companies are using it and taking advantage of it. And I was like, hmm, I need to utilize this. And I I jumped on it and I just had fun with it, really. I mean, it seems like, yeah, a lot of just fun content. And I'm um, trying to grab it real quick. You're at 439 thousand followers and verified which is pretty awesome <laughs> thanks uh let me do a quick scroll you gotta oh do we go viral on one million views <laughs> yeah tiktok is amazing it introduces you to a lot of new people that you never thought have would even built... wanted to skate yeah i was gonna say have you built quite a following um across the other channels through tiktok or even getting more people on the ice that have been like maybe talking about oh, i don't know if i want to skate or not and kind of been able to leave an impact that way yeah definitely i think that all the platforms have their own value and being able to connect with my different audiences is really valuable too because wherever you go you're able to make a change in whatever way and as long as it's a positive change and something that helps people um shift their mind on once they what they once knew about something before is so valuable and important to me I want to thank you for taking the time today to kind of hop on and chat with us. So I really do appreciate it. Yes, of course. Always, Kevin. We talked with Michelle about that special program they're going to announce at U.S. Champs this past weekend, um, which is, if you haven't seen, the Mabel Fairbanks Fund, which supports BIPOC skaters. Team USA's star Andrews was named the inaugural recipient and the guaranteed rate, which is one of U.S. Figure Skating's prime sponsors, uh, is matching the donation. So it is a fund where the top award is $25,000 guaranteed rate match that. So a total of $50,000 as part of the commitment to help identify opportunities and enhance U.S. Figure Skating's uh, diversity, inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. So the two rewards that were given out, you know, $10,000 to an up and coming athlete and $5,000 to a developmental athlete will be announced later. So star was the recipient of that $10,000, which is unbelievable. Um, great steps in something that, you know, Michelle talked about putting herself out there and leaving an impact. Um, this is something that she and her team helped create, which is awesome to see. So congrats to you guys. Uh, congrats to our U S champs as well. We've got a few, uh, show alums that uh, have graced the podium this past weekend. John Luke Baker and Caitlin Hawaiik, third place at dance. I think they were episode three as well. Amber Glenn in second place at senior ladies. Yeah. Silver medalists as well in the pairs, Jessica Cowling and her partner, Brian Johnson. I uh, appreciate everybody for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's 
talk with Coach Michelle Hong. We'll catch you guys next week. Cheers.